0: I am very glad to hear that you agree with me and Jesus on your theology. That's good. That makes me feel better. Um, it is, it's really great to be here. We love Alaska, and uh, we uh, love Mark and Angie and their family, and we love Pioneer Baptist. I mentioned Thursday night how much we appreciated your prayers for our family. Uh, many of you may know that this conference this weekend is uh, two, over two years in the making. It's been rescheduled several times. Because uh, of originally, before the pandemic ever even uh, hit, uh, we had a family crisis and had to cancel. And you were so gracious to reschedule. And then, of course, the world fell apart with the uh, COVID uh, situation. And we've had to reschedule several times. Uh, but this one here today, actually, I was supposed to be speaking in, in, in uh, Illinois uh, at a men's conference. And my topic was uh, supposed to be Bring Back nine ten. And I was going to be speaking uh, today's 9-11, of course, 20th anniversary, and talking about all that's changed in the last 20 years in this world. But Mark and I talked, and uh, we felt like with the trajectory of things in this world, we better move the conference up from November to now, lest we have to cancel it again and not not able to fly and all the things that seem like they're coming down the pike. So I canceled that conference or, or bowed out and, uh, and and really thankful to be here and the, the topics that we have at hand uh, this weekend are pretty important, pretty heavy uh, stuff. Uh, now Thursday night, if you weren't able to be here, that was kind of a standalone, uh, separate you know topic for this uh, time here. It was on the gospel, the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. I encourage you to go back and watch those uh, videos at the Pioneer Baptist website. They're also up at the Not by Works website. Uh, but tonight we kick off about. Uh, a subject that is very near and dear to me and i just want to mention right here at the outset that the what i'm going to be doing for the next four sessions is basically distilling down our 18 video 14 hour 10 disk series called spirit of the antichrist into these you know four basically one hour sessions and so tonight in our two sessions i'm going to kind of give you a, a broad level overview touch on some key issues i really wish we had the time to to go into it with the level of detail that I did in this series uh, last fall um, because it has been really uh, impactive I think in in a lot of people's lives and it really helped uh, shore up some of the things that we've been studying for 15 years uh, relative to the fact that the uh, Spirit of the Antichrist is already at work and that the gathering cloud of deception uh, is among us. So I just wanted to mention that we have those here in DVD or if you prefer a digital download, you're not a DVD person, you just like to get them as a digital download, we have those uh, as well. So I remember, just by way of introduction, almost, I think we figured out it was about 14 years ago, I was sitting at a Chinese food restaurant in Houston, Texas, and across the table from me was a dear friend, dear friend to this day, um, and uh, his name is Shane, and he and I had both taught at a nearby college, I was no longer teaching there, but he was still there. And uh, while we were both there, we would meet at this restaurant several times a week for lunch. And we just loved to talk about everything from sports to politics to theology, you name it. Uh, I had left the school but would still make the trip down to uh, that part of Houston every now and then to uh, meet with him and, uh, you know, have lunch and continue the friendship. And so we were sitting there at this same old restaurant, a Chinese buffet. We both had gotten our food and sat down. And I'll never forget, he began... Uh, a discussion that is forever etched in my mind and really changed the direction of kind of what uh, I understood to be true about history and about the world and kind of sent me diving deep into uh, the rabbit hole. Um, And I remember sitting there talking with him and and having this conflicting uh, feeling in my mind. On the one hand, I was sitting across from a man that I knew to be extremely intelligent, academic-minded, analytically-minded, credentialed. In fact, I think he's one of the smartest men I know. And yet the things he was saying to me were absolutely nuts. I just thought, this guy has lost his marbles. What's going on? But I respected him enough that I went home. We ended up that lunch lasted over two hours. And and I went, drove home on the Houston freeways, my mind spinning, and because I respected him, I I at least took the time to begin looking into some of the things uh, that he said. And that began my journey uh, that uh, led me into what the real forces are behind things in this world. I looked behind every curtain I could find, we travel a lot in our ministry, and so we've uh, Spent a lot of time on the road, I've been in all 50 states multiple times, and every time we would be anywhere near a key geographic location that relates to the Luciferian agenda uh, to take over this world, which is what we're going to talk about in a moment, uh, I would make a side trip to go see it, take pictures, do interviews, uh, talk with people, uh, bought several hundred books and, and, and documentaries and other things, and just really began to study all of this, and to study it Uh, through the lens of Scripture. Uh, Because, you know, I I first and foremost am a biblicist, a Bible teacher, academician, and I certainly didn't uh, waver on my commitment to the authority of God's Word as our only standard for beliefs, attitudes, and practices. So I had to study all of this other stuff and make sure that it comported with what we read in the Scripture. And so the first result of Of those years of studying was was a book that I wrote in 2012 called The Great Last Days Deception Exposing Satan's New World Order Agenda and I'll say more about that throughout the weekend I'm sure but one of the key chapters in this book was chapter uh, 8 entitled Top 10 Lies Impacting the World Today and what I found when this first came out is people would buy the book and they would skip straight to that chapter Because when I would speak at conferences, I would talk about how chances are some of you in this room, and this is still true today, by the way, chances are some of you in this room are believing some of these lies. So, of course, what's the first thing people do? They want to skip straight to chapter 8, they read through it, and then they begin to send me really mean emails and hurt my feelings and talk about how crazy I am. And I would say the same thing every time. Well, did you read the first seven chapters? Well, no, I haven't had the chance to read them. Well, if you're going to read it, read... The book in its context, and then I think you'll find out that uh, there's a pretty good chance I'm right about those 10, ten lies. And so uh, so then as I continue to study and teach, I got into to speaking at more and more Bible prophecy conferences and times prophecy conferences, things like that, and continuing to study this all the time. And then the Spirit of the Antichrist, which is currently being uh, put into print form, it'll be a two-volume book, volume one we hope to have out by the end of this year, and then volume two next year. Um, but the DVD set really is the next comprehensive that kind of takes The Great Last Day's Deception book and just really uh, expands it. So uh, so what are we talking about when we talk about The Great Last Day's Deception? What is the premise? What do I mean by the spirit uh, of the Antichrist? What do I mean by this gathering cloud of deception? What are we talking about with this terminology. You heard me a second ago reference the Luciferian agenda. What is what is that? Chances are there may be some here in this place tonight that have never even heard the term Luciferian. Although if you know the Bible, you probably can get have some idea where that term comes from. Well, the whole premise of this series is taken from 1 John chapter 2, where John tells us, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist, notice the capital A there, is coming referring to that future man of sin who will be working at the po- under the power of Satan to take over the world in a tyrannical one-world system, demanding that everybody worship him, uh, persecuting uh, believers worse than any other time in human history. It's the final seven-year period prior to the return of Christ to establish his kingdom, and the Antichrist is going to be kind of in the forefront of uh, global affairs at that time. So he says, even though you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now... Many antichrists have come, and that's how we know it's the last hour. So this was written in roughly 90 to 95 AD. Uh, The church was still in its infancy, only about six decades old, and here we are 2,000 years later in church history, and yet God's word is just as true today as it ever has been. There are many antichrists uh, at work. 2 uh, Timothy, Paul tells us that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Now, he wrote 2 Timothy uh, in uh, uh, 67 AD, even before John wrote his epistles. And at that time, the church was only 30-some-odd years old, and Paul was already under the inspiration of the Spirit reminding us that things are going to get worse and worse, that deception gets worse and worse. And one of the underlying things that I find I uh, have to remind people of when I talk about these types of topics is that depravity, which is clearly a biblical principle, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, is a degenerative disease. De- depravity does not get better with time. It's not one of those things that if you just leave it alone, it gets better. It gets worse. So, according to the biblical narrative, things are getting worse and worse and worse, not better and better and better. And they won't get better until the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace comes back, takes the throne. Ultimately at the end of the millennium makes all things new because that's the only hope for a sin stricken world under the curse of sin. So going back to first John though, later on in that same epistle, John says this is the spirit of the antichrist, which you've heard is coming and is now already in the world. In other words, Satan is trying to take over the world. How many of you believe that? You should, because that's what the Bible teaches. He tried to take over heaven. He got banished from heaven along with one-third of the angels that are now what we call demons. And he and his entourage of demons, when they couldn't have heaven, came to earth and said, well, we'll have the earth then. They confronted Adam and Eve. They brought death into the world uh, when the serpent tempted Eve. And uh, they, Jesus said in John 8 that Satan is a murderer from the beginning, that he's also a liar. And everything he speaks, he speaks as a lie. He cannot do anything but lie. That's what liars do. And so he has uh, been fast at work now for 6,000 years trying to take over this world. The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the god of this age, Right? Now, we could get into some of the theological speculation as to why the eternal creator of the universe, the sovereign God and creator, is allowing Satan to have as much free reign as he has for as long as he has. That's not for us to question. We just have to stick with what the Bible says. And we do know how the story ends. We know that at some point in the future, Satan is going to be cast into the everlasting fire that Jesus told us was prepared for the devil and his angels, the devil and the demons. And he will suffer and be tormented day and night forever and ever. But that time hasn't come yet. And until that time, uh, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. He's putting forth the gospel, hoping that more and more people will believe. But at some point, and it could be very soon, uh, we will shift into that end times uh, period. And we will see all of these things that the Bible talks about with regard to the Antichrist begin Uh, to happen. But for the purposes of this study, what I am focusing on is the fact that even though we know very clearly what's going to happen, the Bible says that spirit is already at work in the world today. In fact, Paul said, put it this way, also talking about the future Antichrist, he said the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's already here. The Antichrist hasn't Uh, been unveiled and signed the peace treaty with Israel and taken the throne over that final seven-year period of Daniel's 490-year plan yet, but that spirit, that mystery is very much already uh, at work. And so one of the things that John talks about is the last hour, and so let's define some terms before we get into this uh, tonight. Um, In the Bible, the phrase last hour or last days refers to the present church age, the present church age. In other words, if you were to chart out human history from creation to the present and ultimately till time shall be no more in the eternal state, we see broadly speaking seven uh, eras. Uh, we might call these dispensations. Uh, the Bible does not ever spell out exactly how many dispensations there are, but it does very clearly talk about dispensations and which is just another way to say stewardship or economy. In fact, the Greek word is oikonomos. That's where we get the English cognate economy. It just means a a manner in which God is interacting with human beings at any given time. And clearly, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to recognize that over time, God has interacted with mankind, his creation, differently. For example, he, he interacted with Adam and Eve in the garden differently than he does with us today. He interacted with his chosen nation, Israel, through priests and sacrificial systems and festivals differently than he does with us today. It doesn't mean different ways of salvation. Everyone is always saved the same way. Every human being ever born is born dead in their trespasses and sins and must trust in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation if you want to be saved. But uh, clearly, as we kind of give a panoramic view of history here, we see uh, sort of clear distinctions in the way in which God interacted with man. And so when the Bible calls this present uh, age the last days, It's because if you look at the biblical narrative, there's only one age to come, and that's the final age, the kingdom. Everything else has already happened. The present church age is indeed the last days, and we see this phrase again and again in Scripture. For example, in Paul's last letter, he says, know this, and the last days, perilous times will come, and he's talking about the present church age. Again, in 1 John 2, we know it's the last hour because the spirit of Antichrist is already fast at work. Um... And uh, so when we talk about the spirit of the Antichrist, basically what I decided to do is we, we know that the biblical record is the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work. We know what the Antichrist is going to do. We have tons of biblical information on that in the Old and New Testament alike. And so I just started studying what the Bible says about that future satanic tyrant, the Antichrist, And came up with a list of characteristics. And then I sort of prioritized those based on the most significant ones I could find in Scripture. And I came up with my top seven characteristics of the Antichrist. And then I said, if the Bible says that the spirit of that future Antichrist is already at work among us, it follows that we ought to see inklings here and there of those seven characteristics that will dominate the earth when he's in in charge, when he's in control as the one world leader. We ought to see inklings of those things. And then I further speculated that that as we get closer and closer to the end times, we ought to see an uptick in some of those things. Now again, the the, the biblical doctrine of the rapture is imminent. It's The, the imminency is the, the name of the doctrine. We have a DVD on the imminency of the rapture. That just means that there's no prophecy that has to happen before the rapture takes place. It, could happen at any moment. It could have happened yesterday, 500 years ago, 1,700 years ago. Any time in the church age, since Christ revealed it in the upper room in John chapter 14, the rapture could happen. Uh, So there's no prophecy that has to happen first. In other words, you can't wake up on any given day and say, well, I know the rapture's not going to happen today because A, B, and C haven't happened yet, and they have to come first, right? No, nothing has to happen. The rapture could happen at any moment. That's what imminency means, at any moment. So we're not suggesting here that we can sensationalize or pick dates or, or somehow uh, say, oh, it's going to happen tomorrow. But what we are saying is that as we see an increase in the types of activity that will dominate when the Antichrist is on the throne, it follows that we're probably getting closer. Uh, a professor of mine at Dallas Seminary, John Walvard, uh, thank you, brother, said used to say when, uh, when I had him... Thirty years ago, that you know the doctrine of the, the 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 rapture is imminent. That's the doctrine of imminency. So we can't predict when it's going to happen. But we do have a number of predictions in Scripture that relate to the second coming. The second coming is not imminent. It's going to happen at a prescribed time. In fact, there's tons of things in Scripture that must happen before the second coming can happen. Namely, the revelation of the Antichrist, the uh, seal, trumpet, and bold judgments as the outpouring of God's wrath, the abomination of desolation at the midpoint of the tribulation, the two witnesses, the 144,000 Jewish missionaries, the battle of Armageddon, the second coming of Christ, the sheep and the goats judgment. We could go on and on. A lot of those things have to happen before Christ takes the throne at his return. Uh, but the, the rapture is imminent. So, but Dr. Walbert used to say, look, if we begin to see the stage being set for second coming events, and we know the rapture is going to happen before the second coming, then we can deduce, well, we're getting we must be we might be getting close to the rapture. It's kind of like when you see Christmas decorations in October and you go, Wow, it's only October. We're already seeing Christmas decorations. I guess Christmas is getting closer, and then suddenly it hits you, well, if Christmas is getting closer, Thanksgiving must be even closer, right? Well, that's what we're seeing today. We're seeing the stage being set for future end times events. And by the way, 16% of the Bible is unfulfilled future prophecy related to the end times. So that means that, you know, if you're only studying, if you refuse to study the end times, if you have no interest in it, you think it's just not worth your time, then you're only studying 84% of the Bible. Just keep that in mind. I call that the 84% Club, which is where most churches are today, thankfully not Pioneer Baptist. But the Bible has a lot to say about the end of the story. And so so I took those seven characteristics of the Antichrist, I started looking around, and I said, do we see an uptick in some of these uh, types of things? And the answer was an overwhelming uh, yes. Now, one of the things before we get into some of those characteristics, we need to understand a little bit about this character, the Antichrist, and where does his power come from? Well, the Bible tells us his power will be according to the working of Satan. Uh, And when he takes the throne and and rules the world in his tyrannical, satanic regime, it says... uh, that people will worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Now, the beast is the book of Revelation's name for the Antichrist. So whenever you talk about the beast, uh, Daniel uses that phrase as well. It's talking about this same man, the future Antichrist. So his power comes from Satan or from uh, the dragon. In Daniel 8, which is referring originally to Antiochus Epiphanes, but by extension and sort of a foreshadowing, it's talking about, uh, the antichrist and again his power is not going to be his own power it's going to be satan's power and satan as we've already said is the great deceiver the antichrist under satan's power will be the greatest human deceiver in the history of the world no one will ever have more deceptive power on earth than the antichrist deception as paul said we already looked at this in second timothy three thirteen, will get worse and worse and it's going to reach unprecedented heights in that final seven-year period when the Antichrist is ruling and reigning the world. Um, That's the reason, by the way, that Jesus, in the Olivet Discourse, which the Olivet Discourse, as you know, is that message that Jesus preached on Wednesday of Passion Week, the day before he was betrayed in the garden, and then uh, arrested, tried, and crucified, and laid in the tomb by early Friday morning. On Wednesday of that week, after he had cursed the fig tree and turned over the tables of the money changers in the temple and had some very uh, pointed remarks for the uh, Pharisees in in Matthew 23, for example, uh, and and basically said, I'm done with you. You will not see me again until you cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blesses you, come in the name of the Lord. He then, the disciples saw all that and they were confused. They shouldn't have been because he had made it very clear throughout his three-and-a-half-year ministry that suffering had to come before uh, the reigning, the cross had to come before the crown and so, so forth, humility before honor. But they didn't get it. They were just ready for their victorious warrior to throw off the shackles of Rome and take the throne and, and stop this uh, domin- this Gentile domination of Jerusalem. But in any way, in any event, when the disciples saw Jesus talk about uh, how he's not, you know, they're not going to see him again, they began to get a little antsy, and they said, "So, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of this age? When, when are you going to inaugurate this long-awaited kingdom that the Old Testament talks about?" And so Jesus, in answer to that question, teaches what we call the Olivet Discourse, this lengthy sermon uh, from the top of Mount of Olives in which he gives sign after sign after sign that will uh, uh, precede his return to establish the kingdom. And he keeps saying, when you see these things, you know my coming is close. And it's in that sermon that repeatedly Jesus says, be not deceived. In fact, the sermon begins with the phrase, see that no one deceive you. Uh, So... Because Satan or Jesus knows that Satan is going to perpetrate the greatest fraud in human history by getting everyone left behind at the rapture that he can to take the mark of the beast and worship the Antichrist. Uh, so Satan is the great deceiver. Remember, Jesus referred to him as uh, a, the, the murderer from the beginning who does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he's speaking from his own resources. He is a liar and the father of it. So I've written and spoken about for many years this global deception that is sweeping the world and that is essentially part of a Luciferian conspiracy. So what do we mean by the Luciferian conspiracy? Well, first of all, we have to define conspiracy theory. What is a conspiracy theory? Because that phrase has kind of taken on a different meaning today, thanks to the CIA. We'll talk about that in a second than what it normally means in any dictionary. But the word conspiracy, if you look it up, is simply an agreement between two or more people to commit a crime or perform a wrongful or sinister act. Pretty simple. Matter of fact, about 75% of all federal criminal prosecutions and quite a large percentage of state uh, criminal cases involve prosecutions for conspiracy, and it's actually part of the crime. So a conspiracy is just two or more people working together for some nefarious evil intention to commit a crime or do something. So conspiracies absolutely do exist, uh, and uh, we need to understand uh, what that means. But the, the the you know mainstream media and the the uh, prevailing thought today is that oh if you if you begin to speculate on any of this stuff, you know you're just a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, right? So uh, I don't believe in conspiracy theories except for the ones that are true, and there are some true conspiracy theories. Uh, In fact, they're not theories, they're facts. The biblical record teaches that Satan is conspiring with demons and human agents to take over this world. Period. End of discussion. I mean, that's what's been happening. He's going to fail. Uh, He'll succeed for seven years, but ultimately he's going to come crashing down. And Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, will reign for all of eternity as the Bible comes full circle to a pre-fall Edenic state in sinless perfection once again. Uh, but uh, he doesn't. Believe, Satan doesn't believe he's going to fail. He thinks he's going to uh, succeed. So again, conspiracy is a very common term. And in fact, if conspiracies didn't exist and were merely the far-fetched uh, machinations of the mentally ill, as the government suggests they are, then there must be a ton of mentally ill lawyers out there. Uh, Because most cases, which, of course, most of you are thinking, uh, yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, good point. Uh, uh, So, uh, by the way, speaking of lawyers, what's the difference between a lawyer and God? Anybody know? Well, God doesn't think he's a lawyer, so that's one difference. Uh, How many lawyers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Three. One to climb the ladder, one to shake it, and one to sue the ladder company. So... uh, All right, one more. What's the difference between a jellyfish and a lawyer? Do we have any lawyers in your church? I hope not. (laughs) Thank you. I should have have asked that before I went down this line. Okay, good. You wouldn't have. Yeah, thank you. What's the difference between a jellyfish and a lawyer? Well, it's clear. One's a spineless, poisonous blob, and the other is a small sea creature. So anyway... um, the term conspiracy theory actually was created by the CIA. We know this to be an incontrovertible, undeniable fact. In April of 1967, the CIA wrote a dispatch which coined the term conspiracy theory and recommended methods for discrediting theories that contradicted the official government version of the Kennedy assassination. People were beginning to talk about how this was clearly not a lone gunman. There was just too much evidence, and it just wasn't, didn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, they needed to combat that. So uh, CIA document 1035-960, which was stamped PSYCH, which is short for Psychological Operations or Disinformation, which is a method that the CIA uses. And it was also stamped CS, which was short for Clandestine Services Unit. And this document came to light after a Freedom of Information Act request by the New York Times, of all uh, people, in 1976. So this document, Conspiracy theory concept kind of took root uh, back then in in the 60s, the late 60s, but it is still a tool that is used again and again and again. There have been academic journals that have talked about it, uh, textbooks. It's it's commonly spoken of at academic conferences, how to use conspiracy theory as, and this is their words, quote, a psycholinguistic tool for mimetic hegemony. What in the world does that mean? That's a mouthful. Well, let's break it down. Uh, Mimetic hegemony using memes, such as, you're a conspiracy theorist, to dominate and control others and make them look foolish. And that's essentially what uh, they're doing. They're doing the same thing, by the way, with many other terms. Today it's the term fake news. That's an intentionally created term uh, to somehow discredit people. Um, so, uh, Cass Sunstein, you may know that name, he's an American legal scholar and who's uh, worked in the Obama administration as the White House, uh, as the administrator of the White House Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs from 2009 to 2012, and he is widely known for his research into linguistic thought control and subliminal indoctrination as a means of behavior modification, and he promoted what is often called the nudge theory of behavior. And uh, by the way, he was, may still be, married to Samantha Power, who's the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. And this quote that you see on the screen is from a 2008 article in the Journal of Political Philosophy, in which Sunstein and Vermeule, both Harvard lawyers, wrote this article entitled Conspiracy Theories Causes and Cures. And they say, What can the government do about conspiracy theories? Well, we can imagine a few responses. Number one, the government might ban. Conspiracy theorizing. And what do we have have today? We have all the mainstream social media outlets banning anything that does not comport with the official government narrative. Our channel, Not by Works Ministries channel, has been banned multiple times. I don't even use YouTube anymore because I can't count on what I put up there staying up there. I mean, I dare to do crazy things like quote from the American Medical Association Journal or the New England Journal of Medicine or the Lancet or, qu- or cite the CDC in their own words. How dare I? But it doesn't comport with what the official narrative is, and so they just censor it. Which, by the way, censorship is always a means of subverting the truth, always. Uh, Sunstein goes on uh, we might even have to impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who are disseminating uh, such uh, theories. So he also recommended a program, and has already begun implementing it, called Cognitive Infiltration. And I recommend a book by a guy named David Ray Griffin entitled Cognitive Infiltration, in which he exposes with great research uh, Sunstein's uh, plan. But he wrote the book, Sunstein Did Conspiracy Theories and Other Dangerous Ideas, published by Simon & Schuster in 2014, and so when, you, when someone calls you a conspiracy theorist, or maybe you use that term yourself, you need to understand you have been victimized by a massive psycholinguistic mind control campaign. Just keep that in mind. And the fact is, the Bible has a lot to say about uh, conspiracies. Uh, if you watch the full series on, uh, on our on DVD series or the downloads, you'll see how I break down both the Old and New Testament uses of the biblical term conspiracy uh, and even 400 years before Christ, uh, Thucydides, Thucydides, the Greek historian and, and Greek uh, army general, said, quote, a conspiracy is a body of men leagued by oath for the putting down of democracy. I thought that was interesting. So conspiracies are nothing new. They're as old as time itself. A thousand years before Christ, King David wrote about conspiracies in Psalm 2, uh, When he said, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Why do the kings of the earth set themselves up and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed? And they say, let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their courts from us. He's talking there about the Luciferian conspiracy. And and the co-conspirators in this conspiracy, you see, are human agents. The kings of the earth, the world global leaders, a thousand years before Christ, conspiring with Satan and his demons to break the bonds notice that this was talking about the bonds of God's power and authority and sovereignty the capital uh, T their bonds there and their cords at the end of that verse is talking about the triune God and so for since time began since Satan got kicked out of heaven he's been trying to overthrow the eternal creator uh, of the universe and so these human agents and demonic agents are conspiring with Satan himself, and that constitutes the satanic or Luciferian conspiracy. Paul said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against unseen principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness and the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, in the unseen realm. So uh, much of what we're going to be talking about tonight and then again tomorrow morning relates to this Luciferian conspiracy. Uh, conspiracy and the human agents. And I want to kind of walk us through just briefly, some of them I may only be able to mention, but, uh, and others I'm going to spend a little more time on uh, this weekend, but seven manifestations of the spirit of the Antichrist. And again, we go into much greater detail in the full 18 video uh, set. But the first manifestation of the spirit of the Antichrist is what I call the spirit of pretense The spirit of pretense. What does the word pretense mean? Well, if you look it up in Webster's, it's a claim not supported by fact, or a false show of something, or a false or hypocritical profession. In other words, it's deception. So, the number one characteristic uh, of Satan, and then ultimately of the Antichrist when he rules the world, is going to be deception. We see this again and again in the passages that talk about the Antichrist, how he's going to be. Uh, functioning as a lawless one, using all lying wonders and unrighteous deception, trying to deceive the world. This is talking about the Antichrist. In the book of Revelation, during the Antichrist's reign of terror, we're going to see how he's trying to deceive everyone who dwells on the earth, all the earth dwellers. He's going to try uh, to deceive them. So if deception is one of his primary characteristics, are we seeing then an uptick in deception, as time, as we march through time and get closer and closer to the return of Christ. Without question. So I'm going to give you a quote now from Manly P. Hall, a Satan worshiper, uh, who's most famous for his work, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, which was an encyclopedic outline of the Masonic uh, Lodge and other Hermetic and Kabbalistic and Rosicrucian philosophies and so forth. Um, but he published this at the age of 27, Uh, He died in 1990. Uh, He's a Canadian-born mystic, uh, again, a Satan worshiper. And he said in his writings, there are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. And that's one of the reasons that I put on the cover of my book, Great Last Day's Deception, a marionette attached to key world power centers like the Kremlin and the U.S. Capitol and so forth. Because there really is, uh, behind the scenes, something much greater at play. And it's a cosmic struggle between the eternal creator of the universe, God, and Satan, Lucifer, who fell like lightning from heaven and has been trying to overtake God as the ruler of the universe, the master of the universe ever since. So deception is a, a key, key part of their plan, and one of the most prominent manifestations of the spirit of pretense is that A large scale program by the United States CIA called Operation Mockingbird. It began in the 1950s and was essentially their attempt to take over every aspect of the mainstream media, both print, radio, and TV at the time. And it funded and and, and started all sorts of magazines and other print media. It started on college and university campuses, student organizations. It recruited American journalists. At one time, they had thousands of on-the-payroll for the CIA writers, newscasters, uh, you know, on-air personalities, producers, directors uh, behind the scenes. And uh, this has all been talked about in congressional hearings. They allege that it was uh, put a stop to, but the reality is it is still very much going on. I'm going to show you now a stunning video clip that exposes the reality of Mockingbird. There are several of these that have come to light just in the last 18 months since this the world changed with this global pandemic, um, which, by the way, if you watch the whole series, uh, we, we get into a lot of the truth behind what all is going on there. But particularly in the last 18 months, we've seen example after example after example where, you know, just your run-of-the-mill local television station in Timbuktu, Iowa, is reading a script, is reading a script. Operation Mockingbird never uh, ended. So here's a short clip uh, that I took from Out of Shadows. Uh, If you've not seen that documentary, um, I highly recommend it. Uh, But this is about uh, two and a half minutes. Let's watch this. That's a quote by William Casey, former CIA director started out paying journalists in major needs Pulitzer prize-winning journalists to print fake stories uh, that the CI wanted in the press
1: and fake interviews. And this was revealed to the church committee. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA?
2: I came out, we finally made the statement Well, we're going
1: to officially stop the Monster program. So- Extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. There is something about the way the CIA has been functioning that is casting a shadow on our historic
0: position of freedom, and I feel we need to correct it. So, deception is Satan's number one tool. And understandably, it's the Antichrist's number one tool. So as he and his co-conspirators get together in smoke-filled rooms and plan how they're going to try to take over this world, obviously they're trying to figure out a way to deceive. They don't just come knocking at the door and say, hey, would you like to bow down and worship Satan? Most people would probably not go for that. So it's much more subtle than that. And they use the mainstream media uh, as a... Key uh, tool in that deception. So I don't have time in this short time parameter of this conference to go into the fake right-left paradigm. uh, But I encourage you. One of the discs or one of the videos in our eighteen-video series talks about that. If you think that Fox News is good and CNN is bad, you have already believed the lie. You don't understand the way deception works. You don't understand the way controlled opposition works or the Hegelian dialectic of problem, reaction, solution. Uh, it's all smoke and mirrors. Um, and hopefully you're beginning to see through some of that. One of the biggest, uh, I guess, blessings, if you want to call it that, that has come out of this uh, you know, massive uptick in deception in the last 18 months with, with everything related to the election and all of those types of things is more and more people are beginning to see that what they thought they knew is no longer true. So it's easy uh, to uh, deceive people. Paul tells us it's getting easier to deceive and easier to be deceived. That's a dangerous combination, right? Remember what Mark Twain said, how easy it is to make people believe a lie and how hard it is to undo that work again. It's often paraphrased as it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. And that is very true. Leonardo da Vinci put it this way, there are three classes of people, those who see, those who see when they're shown, and those who never see. And uh, I'm hoping that as I continue to sound the alarm and talk about some of these uh, issues that more and more people will begin uh, to see. Um, William Paley was a British theologian back from the 18th century. And uh, he put it this way, there is a principle which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance, and this principle is contempt prior to examination. In other words, don't just assume that what you're hearing from me or anyone else is true. Do your own research. Now, uh, in my series, I talk about how with this pandemic, the mainstream news has come out like there was an article in Forbes magazine that basically said, whatever you do, don't do your own research. Uh, you just listen to the CDC. Don't listen to your doctor. Don't listen to the hundreds of thousands of doctors. And I get into this uh, in uh, my current series that is ongoing, which you can get for free and just watch it. We've got six parts of it already called What in the World is Going On, uh, where I talk about hundreds of thousands of doctors, surgeons, pediatricians, virologists, scientists, biologists all across the world that are on record uh, that the official narrative about COVID is not accurate. It's not accurate at all. Um, so, but don't listen to them don't listen to them listen to our science listen to what the CDC tells you um, so an anonymous, anonymous, anonymous psalmist wrote a thousand years before Christ the works of the Lord are great studied by all who have pleasure in them are you studying this world through the lens of scripture or are you studying this world through the lens of Fox News or the mainstream media or 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 the history textbooks, you know, you understand who wrote the history textbooks, uh, the Luciferian-controlled publishing companies. Uh, So Carl Sagan, by no means a believer himself, in his work The Demon-Haunted World, uh, said this, one of the saddest lessons of history is this, if we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Uh, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, who was a contemporary of Voltaire, again in the 18th, early 19th centuries, this quote is from 1809, he said, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe They are true. His contemporary Voltaire said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Who would have thought in the 18th century that before long, in the very near-term future, from their perspective, we would be slaughtering unborn human beings by the millions and consider it acceptable, right? Of course, who would have thought until that... uh, eugenicist Darwin, who was not a scientist, he was a eugenicist, came along. Who would have thought that most of the world would believe that we all evolved from a wet rock 65 million years ago, and that apes and monkeys are our ancestors? Who would have thought you could believe that? Um, In fact, uh, that goes to the next quote by Adolf Hitler, who, by the way, his mentor, his hero, if you will, was uh, Darwin. And so Hitler was simply living out the Darwinian ethic. Darwin's the one who said that... uh, we, we don't need all the useless breathers, we don't need the feeble-minded, we need to get rid of all those people of color and people that have ailments and have a broken arm or one leg shorter than the other. We just need to slaughter them and breed selective breeding into to the white supremacy race and the world will be a better place. He was a eugenicist and so Hitler just simply found himself in a position where he could live out that ethic and he said Famously, the principle which is quite true in itself is that in the big lie, there's always a certain force of credibility. This is often, again, paraphrased or misquoted, frankly, as the bigger the lie, the more easily it is believed. But that is what he was saying. And so somewhere, Satan and his co-conspirators came along and said, let's have some fun. Let's see if we can get 95% of the people in the world to think their ancestors are monkeys. I mean, just imagine if you're sitting around a Starbucks in the Middle Ages and uh, talking with your friend, and you go, I bet you within the next few hundred years, everyone's going to think their ancestors are monkeys. Your friend would go, you are nuts. There's no way any thinking human being would ever believe such utter nonsense. Pretty easy to deceive people. Pretty easy. You just control the textbooks. In America, you force people to go into compulsory government schooling in 1913. <laughs> and then you've got to control of them for eight hours a day, five days a week for 13 years. You control the biology textbooks, what the Rockefeller Foundation did when they took over medicine and the publishing industry. And, and within a couple of generations, here we are. And now life has no meaning, right? Now we can, we can abort, which is just a polite euphemism for murder, human beings because, you know, convenience, whatever it might be. You know, Because life has no value anymore. Vladimir Lenin said, A lie told often enough becomes the truth. Uh, Eric Arthur Blair, better known by his pen name George Orwell, said, in an, age, in an age of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In the last 18 months alone, the Luciferian elite have pulled out all the stops to censor truth. Uh, you know, Anything you say that does not align itself with the official narrative is, is canceled, is just shunned. Mocked, Um, And so we have a book back there. It's the only book on the table that I didn't write, but it's by a friend and colleague of mine, David Fiorazzo, just came out called Canceling Christianity. I think I brought five copies of it. Phenomenal book. gives example after example of what I'm talking about here uh, when they try to cancel conservative biblical Christianity. And by the way, we've seen this movie before. I mean, everything that we see happening today is what... Happened in the 1930s. And by the way, the Jews and Christians who were with it enough to see it coming are the ones that fled the country in the late 30s. So they didn't, they weren't forced to get on the train and go to the FEMA camp. I mean the concentration camp, sorry. Um, so just keep that in mind. You know, it it's happening very, very, very fast. It's happening faster than. We think it, and the biblical principle is pretty clear. A prudent man foresees evil, meaning difficulty, trouble, danger. Not it's not speaking of moral evil there, like good, bad. Uh, But a a prudent man foresees difficulty and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are published. One version puts it this way: A prudent man foresees danger and takes precautions, but the simpleton goes blindly on and uh, suffers uh, the consequences. And uh, uh, one scholar paraphrased it this way, a prudent person sees trouble coming and ducks, (laughs) but a simpleton walks in blindly and is clobbered, right? So when it comes to deception, it's time to wake up and pay attention, you know. Uh, We're going to look at a lot of topics in this uh, short period of time together, tonight and uh, tomorrow. Uh, Some of them may be entirely new to you. Some of them may not be new to you. In fact, you may be familiar with them, but you may have dismissed them as the lunacy ramblings of a tinfoil hat person. Well, you might want to take a second look. Um, So other topics that we talk about in the spirit of pretense are that false left-right paradigm. We go into great detail about that. We talk about fake news and censorship. I get into geoengineering and false flags. False flags is something that if you've not heard that term, you, you owe it to yourself to look into that. Um, I don't remember which video that one is in in this series, but you can read all of the topics uh, on the back of the uh, uh, cover here, but it's actually in video number nine. The reason I say that's important is because I feel almost certain that we're going to be seeing another false flag between now and November of some kind. They're telegraphing it, you know. They're telegraphing it. And then I also get into vaccines and, and big pharma. And speaking of vaccines and big pharma, there can be no doubt that the fourth coming vaccine passport system fits the biblical description of the mark of the beast precisely. Now listen carefully. I'm not suggesting that the vaccine passport system is the mark of the beast. In fact, we know it's not because the mark of the beast won't be implemented until after the rapture when the Antichrist takes the helm and is ruling the world. But the biblical record of the purpose of the mark of the beast and all that he's going to use it to accomplish to control the world to track everyone on the earth, to to allow them to buy and sell and function and get into any any buildings or whatever. That is the biblical description of the Mark of the Beast, and that's exactly the technology that is being rolled out and has already been rolled out in many places already in uh, the world. And uh, some of you may have heard uh, our president's uh, press conference just the other day, since we've been in Alaska, in which he really doubled down on this, uh, on this very point. So the second uh, thing that we talk about in Spirit of the Antichrist of the seven is the spirit of phenomena. The spirit of phenomena. I want to just start to introduce this one and then we'll take a break after I get uh, through with this one and we'll come back after we have some Uh, Food and Fellowship. But if you look at the characteristics of the Antichrist, again, we see that he's going to be using signs and lying wonders, phenomenalistic types of behaviors. He's going to perform great signs, fire going to come down um, from heaven. Jesus himself said in that same passage that I talked about that the Antichrist is going to use great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, talking about Israel there. And so, one of the most stunning indications uh, that phenomenalistic occurrences are on the rise is the sudden, pervasive uptick in UFO activity starting in 1947. Now, I go into much greater detail on this, but I can't help but at least interject this uh, comment, that I really believe there is a correlation between the rise of UFO activity in America which started in 1947 with the uh, Kenneth Arnold sightings in Washington and of course the Roswell incident in June of uh, 1947. The Roswell incident was first and then 10 days later the Kenneth Arnold sightings. I believe there's a correlation between that and the end of World War II and the reinstitution of Israel as a nation. I believe that Satan, who again is not omniscient, he's not omnipotent, he's not omnipresent, he does not know everything, he saw that for the first time in, what, 1,800 years, give or take, Israel was going to once again appear on our Rand McNally maps. <laughs> I mean, Israel clearly has a role to play in the end times, but you got to think about it, for 1,800 years or so, when people read the Bible and they read Israel and the future Jerusalem temple and prophecies related to, to Israel and Jerusalem, it was like reading an ancient city, uh, reading about like Nineveh or something. Did, there was no Israel anywhere on the map. And yet after World War II, May fifteenth, 1948, Israel becomes a nation. Jews begin to go back to Israel, by the way, going back in unbelief. This is not the fulfillment of prophecy, in my view, it's just a potential setting of the stage for the return in belief that Jesus talks about will be supernatural. Um, Deuteronomy 30, Isaiah 27, many other passages talk about this return. Um, but when Satan saw that, it's my speculation that he realized time must be short. He knows that according to the biblical record, Jesus is going to reign from the throne in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And if now Jerusalem is being reestablished, it might not be long. And so I believe there was an uptick in the cosmic supernatural activity. It's my belief that all of these uh, things that are now commonplace in the news as of 2017 are not aliens from Martians. (laughs) It is dimensional. It is spiritual. It is demonic. So the only question about UFOs, for those who've been studying it, and I've been studying this for years, isn't whether or not they exist. If you don't think UFOs exist, you are literally have your head in the sand. There's no question that they exist. Thousands upon thousands of eyewitness accounts, videos, government classified documents, you know, five-star generals reporting them on their radar, those kinds of these are not stupid people. This is there's no question UFOs exist. The only question is, what are they? And w- as with all other questions, we have to answer that through the lens of Scripture. They're not little green aliens coming to take over the world. They're demonic. They're dimensional. So it started in 1947 with Project Sign, and that was uh, uh, one of the government you know, uh, attempts to try to track this. It, it quickly morphed into the Air Force Project Grudge, Uh, But then, of course, by now everybody knows about Project Blue Book. There have been documentaries. There's a History Channel show about Project uh, Blue Book, and that became uh, the Air Force uh, task force that would go out and investigate and keep a detailed record of uh, any UFO incidents. And their goal was, number one, in their own documentation, to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security, and number two, to analyze them scientifically was led by J. Allen Hynek. Uh, in his first book that he published, which was called Close Encounter, he created the scale that we now use, and it was used in Steven Spielberg's popular 1977 UFO movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, to talk about uh, interactions with otherworldliness, first kind, second kind, third kind, and fourth kind. And so, uh, and by the way, Jay Allen Hynek actually makes a cameo appearance in uh, Close Encounters of Uh, the third kind. Uh, At the very end he's uh, boarding the mothership. Uh, But anyway, uh, we know all about Project Blue Book. Things have been declassified. There have been plenty of um, uh, documentaries and books written about it and as I mentioned there's even a History Channel series that takes real accounts from Project Project Blue Book records and then sort of takes literary license and, and, and kind of acts them out. But here's the key thing, after decades of the government saying, absolutely not, we're not tracking UFOs, there's no such thing as UFOs. If you think there's UFOs, you're a crazy person. All of a sudden, as with so many other things that the government does, in 2017 in December in the New York Times, it all kind of came crashing out. And we discovered that indeed, there was a $22 million government budgeted program for years uh, called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP, that was just the next iteration of Project uh, Blue Book. It was led by uh, Luis Elizondo on the fifth floor of the Pentagon's C-ring, and uh, they were out there, what were they doing, tracking UFOs. And they were very concerned about it. Remember, the government, and especially people in our military, are not necessarily looking at life through a biblical lens. They're just trying to defend our country against all threats, Right. And so when they've got these types of things that, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Commander David Fravor, Lieutenant Commander Jim Slade, and others from the USS Nimitz, for example, just one example, uh, talked about uh, seeing uh, and not being able to control and and not knowing of any technology anywhere on planet Earth that could do the things these flying objects were doing, that gets the military's attention, right? Uh, So Luis Elizondo... uh, uh, has been interviewed many, many times, and he's uh, the one that was in charge of this uh, uh, program. They claim that it ended in 2012, but during congressional hearings in June of 2020, just last year, it was admitted that a similar program continued, this time under the direction of the U.S. Office of Naval Intelligence. I've talked to people in Navy intelligence who have confirmed this to me. And it, this program is called the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena task force but what do we see in scripture there's going to be an increase of phenomena signs and wonders types of things happen they even have phenomena in the name so the UAP task force has released all kinds of stuff including just recently within the th- last three months maybe you've seen it on some of the mainstream news outlets but here's a, a cop a, a still photo from the f- uh, radar of the USS Nimitz carrier strike group off the coast of San Diego from 2004 that was just released it's called the Tic Tac UFO. Here's FLIR footage, forward-looking infrared camera footage from the same uh, thing, Commander David Fravor. Uh, here's another one, the, what's called the Gimbal image, also FLIR footage from the USS Roosevelt off the East Coast, this one from 2014 and 2015. Now, these still photos aren't that impressive. This is another one called the Go Fast. These are what the, the fighter pilots called them, uh, and the names kind of stuck. Uh, kind of stuck. This is also from the USS Roosevelt. Uh, but the, the still footage is not that impressive. But what is impressive is the testimony of the actual fighter pilots. So here's a clip uh, from uh, just this summer uh, on uh, Tucker Carlson. Again, I'm not a big Tucker Carlson fan, not a big Fox News fan, but this just is just showing you how they're uh, bringing all of this out. And he's talking about the footage from 2019. Let's watch. We've interviewed a number of
1: experts on the show, people familiar with footage in possession of the U.S. military, who have said there is tape out there of unidentified flying objects descending from the sky and then disappearing into the ocean. Well, today, that video emerged, depending on just confirmed that footage is real. You're seeing it now on your screen. It was taken by the Combat Information Center on board the USS Omaha on July 15, 2019, off the as far as we know, the UFO in question is never recovered. There's no material indicating a crash. More than that, we don't. Tom Ogden is a Washington examiner, a columnist. Will personally is subject to the Tom, like right? what do you think we're looking at here? Uh,
2: well, I think we may well be looking at uh, a true unknown, which is to say, uh, intelligent and controlled uh, machinery uh, that is. Uh, not understood to be in the possession of the united states china or russia uh, which are the most three most advanced uh, countries in terms of um, military uh, aviation and and so you know the video in and of itself is is limiting what it entails but i think it speaks to uh, as the Pentagon itself has admitted uh, this continuing uh, trend of
1: If you listen to the sound up, you can hear the guys who are monitoring this video and feeling on gas when it seems to disappear beneath the waves. So this kind of takes the weather balloon off the table or some meteorological phenomenon off the table. I mean, clearly, we're looking at something that is, as you suppose, know, being intelligently controlled and it's going underneath the ocean and disappearing. I mean, we're sure, but this could not be a formula.
2: It's, um, the director of national intelligence report uh, and I do know that the
0: So here's the significance of this. And by the way, this is just the tip of the iceberg. There are hundreds of these cases. They've been tracking them again since 1947. There's been a huge uptick in them in the last 20 years. Behind the scenes, there's been all kinds of concern about it. That's one of the reasons, by the way, that in 2020, Trump established the Space Force. I mean, this is something they've been looking at for a long time. Now, they view this as, again, some type of existential threat from an unknown source. The prevailing wisdom is probably, they think, that it's some type of alien type deal. We know differently because we have the Word of God as the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. Uh, But Trump is by no means the first U.S. president to focus on threats in space. Here's a 28-second clip from President Reagan As he addressed the 42nd session of the United Nations General Assembly in New York on September 21st, 1987.
1: We often forget how much unites all the members of humanity. Perhaps we need some outside universal threat to make us recognize this common bound. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an
0: alien threat from outside this world. So what's the Antichrist trying to do? What is Satan trying to do? He's trying to bring all the world together under one system to follow the lead of one satanic envoy, the Antichrist. I'm not suggesting President Reagan is somehow in on the Luciferian conspiracy. I have lots of information I could talk to you about, Reagan, but that's not my point right now. I'm just saying that from Satan's perspective, as he's rolling out his agenda and his conspiracy, he's trying to get everybody to come together under one world leader. So, there, you know, the, sometimes I'll talk to Christian scholars and others who have no interest in UFOs and they think that the whole concept is a lie that people are making up to try to prepare the way for an excuse for what happened at the rapture. Well, that may be true, but that's not mutually exclusive with the fact that there really are demonic, dimensional things happening in the cosmic realm as part of the satanic battle between Satan and God. I have no doubt that they'll never let a crisis go to waste, and so when the rapture happens and uh, the evil people left behind in positions of power are going to try to have to explain it, they'll probably blame it on some alien abduction. Who knows? But that doesn't mean that these things aren't real and aren't representative of a demonic uh, dimensional battle that we're seeing a massive uptick in, 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 in since 1947 and particularly in the last couple of decades. And I, So that's just one indication. So we get into all kinds of other paranormal activities, Skinwalker Ranch. I talk a lot about that in part two of the Spirit of the Phenomena, and then unexplained disappearances. Uh, but let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll move into part number three, which is Spirit of the Pride, and I have, Spirit of Pride, and I have a few things that I want to say about that. But we'll take a break, and then come back at uh, 7.30. Is that right? Okay, awesome.